Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. First night of Kim Kardashian's life. So how exactly did the events of October 3, 2016 become a point of comedy and mockery? And how exactly did French police track down the people who were responsible? Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello, Zara McDonald. Hello, Michelle Andrews, and welcome back to part two. Part two, our second and final episode in our series on Kim Kardashian's Paris robbery. Now, in episode one, we tracked Kim's rise to semi-legitimacy. She was a reality TV star, but by 2015, 2016, she was a bona fide fashion influencer. Vogue magazine in 2016 actually thought she was going to win the CFDA's Fashion Icon Award that year. Yeah, 100%. They said if Kim didn't win, the only other person in contention should have been Kanye, her husband. This was like when they were really peaking in terms of their fashion influence, as you say. Yeah. We also, in the last episode, retraced Kim's movements at Paris Fashion Week in 2016 from narrowly missing an assault at the hands of a serial celebrity prankster pest to sitting front row at the likes of Balmain, Off-White, Balenciaga and Givenchy. Yeah, we also discussed how Kim's choice of accommodation for that Paris trip, known as the No Name Hotel, potentially wasn't the best security-wise. In fact, a lot of experts consider it something of a security nightmare. Yeah, exactly. And then we narrowed in on what happened in the very early hours of Monday, October 3rd. We told you about how Kim's longtime bodyguard, Pascal, had been instructed to accompany her sisters, Courtney and Kendall, on a night out clubbing, which meant that Kim was home alone and lying in bed in a bathrobe when she heard footsteps down the hall. Yeah, after what she described as seven or eight minutes of torture, a group of men fled Kim Kardashian's apartment with what local newspapers described as the most lucrative loot French police had encountered in over 20 years. At the very end of episode one, Mish, we spoke about how Kim was super rattled, super shaken and had flown back to be with her family via private jet. We will be picking up this episode with where her then husband Kanye was when all of this went down. So let's rewind again back to October 3rd. (laughs) 
right, Zara. So while Kim was being robbed at gunpoint, her husband at the time, Kanye West, was in Queens, New York, headlining the Meadows Music and Arts Festival. Yeah, so Rolling Stone reported that Kanye was actually 45 minutes into his set and halfway through his song Heartless when he just like abruptly stopped singing and told the crowd, I'm so sorry, family emergency, I have to stop the show. Yeah, shortly after that, Meadows Festival actually released a statement on their social media accounts that read, due to a family emergency, Kanye West was forced to end his performance towards the end of his set. We appreciate the great show he put on for fans. To close out the inaugural Meadows Festival, our thoughts are with West and his family. I think naturally people were asking straight away what has happened to one of Kanye West's loved ones that pulled him off stage, Mm. even probably more so intriguing because we knew that Kanye West's loved ones were... So famous. Pretty famous. (laughs) Within hours, they had their answer. A spokeswoman for Kim Kardashian confirmed that Kim had been involved in a violent robbery and told the Associated Press that Kim was badly shaken but physically unharmed. From there... As you can only imagine. And as I remember, Mm. news spread like wildfire. It became one of the biggest celebrity stories of the year. Yeah, all the years around it even. I remember waking up and reading this and just having so many question marks. The mayor of Paris also quickly issued a statement that read, I condemn the attack Kim Kardashian suffered last night in her hotel. She has my support and will always be welcome here in Paris. I have full confidence that the police force, as part of their investigation, will quickly identify and apprehend the person perpetrators of these acts. Yeah, on top of this, Paris's special unit of the judicial police, known as the BRB, confirmed to the media that it had taken control of the investigation. Now, despite the news being confirmed by just about anyone who needed to legitimise this news, Kim's story was immediately thrown into question. Yeah, which is weird. You have the mayor, you've got the police. Like, who else do you need to legitimise this? Yeah, exactly. And the media sort of jumped on this rhetoric straight away. Not kind of accusing her of making this up or saying that it could be a conspiracy theory, but instead they sort of pointed to what other people were saying on Twitter, being like, oh, my God, look at what all these people are saying. Yeah, our least favourite tactic of hiding behind members of the public to use them as like, I don't know, almost not a scapegoat, but kind of like a Trojan horse. Like we want to say this, but we're not willing to put our names to it. So let's put people on Twitter. It's that or it's we know too that there is no way this could be a hoax, but we know this will generate clicks. Yeah. So we want to tell the story without being ones to tell the story. Yeah. Take the cut, for instance. They were careful to point out that the robbery was almost definitely legit, but they did go to lengths to platform all kinds of bizarre theories from people on Twitter. Some included that this was an elaborate publicity group that Kim and Kanye were part of an insurance fraud scheme or that it was a way to boost ratings for keeping up with the Kardashians. They even, the cut even platformed a tweet from a random man on Twitter who doubted the details of Kim's story, said it couldn't possibly be true because if Kim found herself in an apartment with men, they would have sexually assaulted her. This is how the tweet read and we will give a trigger warning. Fast forward 20 seconds if you don't want to hear it. Like somebody would tie up Kim Kardashian, take her jewellery and not rape her. I call bullshit. Her ratings are dropping. Needs attention. Just absolutely wild to me that the cut would even put this in an article. Mm. Even if they're saying 
these conspiracy theories are totally wild. It is giving it an audience that it wouldn't have found otherwise. Yeah. Other publications were far more obvious with their stands. Take the celebrity gossip website MediaTakeout.com, who published a number of articles that characterised Kim Kardashian as a liar who faked the robbery. Now, you might be listening to this saying, well, who the fuck reads MediaTakeout.com? <laughs> and it's like, well, Kim Kardashian's team thought this was important because they actually tried to have the articles deleted and have an apology published in their place. But the owner of Media Takeout apparently refused to retract any of the claims. In response, Kim tried to sue them by filing a defamation lawsuit. The lawsuit read, After having been the victim of a horrific and traumatic armed robbery in France, Kim Kardashian returned to the United States only to be victimised again, but this time by an online gossip tabloid that published a series of articles in early October 2016 referring to her as a liar and a thief. Would be awful to come home and to have gone through what Kim Kardashian went through and then on top of all of that have this layer of like mockery on top of it or doubt. Yes. Just like you are lying to us, you're the girl who cried wolf. Oh, absolutely. And people were especially harsh during this time. Yeah. Take, for example, the DJ Diplo. He saw this as an opportunity to kind of crack a joke. He tweeted out, Taylor robbed Kim, referencing Taylor Swift's infamous feud with Kim and Kanye. That tweet racked up more than 10,000 likes. The most controversial commentary from a public figure or celebrity, though, would have to go to Matthew Kasovitz. He's a French actor and director, and he tweeted out, proud to be Parisian with a winky face almost immediately after the news broke and then refused to delete the tweet after he was met with backlash. Yeah, but mostly public figures were trying to counter the wave of negativity that Kim was receiving online. James Corden tweeted, people making jokes about Kim Kardashian tonight would do well to remember that she is a mother, daughter, wife and friend. Be nice or shut up. That tweet received 127,000 likes. Chrissy Teigen also tweeted about the trolling saying, some shit just isn't funny. I see you trying, but it isn't. Fame is interesting. Celebrities are supposed to love you guys while also knowing you'd make a meme of our dead bodies to get retweets. No one is begging you for sympathy. I know the game plan is to naturally hate celebrities. I mean, put aside the fact that Chrissy Teigen, you know, (laughs) got her own um, history with trolling too, but... I do want to zero in on that line. It's like fame is interesting. Celebrities are meant to be so thankful for their fans Mm. and for their audience when she's not wrong. Yes, they do receive an outpouring of love, but they also have to deal with an outpouring of disgusting hate. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Put Chrissy Teigen's controversies to the side. That is a banger tweet. That's a 10 out of 10 tweet in my book. Perhaps the most hurtful aspect of the media coverage from Kim's perspective as well was that even if people believed the robbery happened, even if they thought her claims were true. For many, that still made it a source of entertainment and delight and joy. Like a lot of people derived joy and entertainment out of Kim's misfortune and her trauma, which is very hard to grasp sitting here in 2022. But I remember this. This was palpable at the time. Yeah, it was like the most obvious example to me of a celebrity who's been dehumanized. I know we do that every single day with celebrities and I know it's very much part of human nature to do that. Like I know it's inherent in all of us, but this was, as you said, incredibly palpable. Like we didn't consider her experience real, even in, and I say we as a collective, I don't think actually you and I did this (laughs) at all, but I do think even though logical parts of our brain knew this happened, no, she's a real human. 
there is a weird sort of cognitive dissonance at play mm. where people can know that and feel that and also treat her as someone who's not real at all. It's really interesting. No matter what a celebrity says, no matter what they do to try and say, I'm a real human just like you, we don't fucking believe it. No, we don't. I mean, how's this? Californian-based costume company, Costume-ish, who probably need a better name for their business, <laughs> released a costume a little over a week after the news broke that they called a Parisian heist robbery victim costume kit. Mm. It was complete with a white robe, long black wig, sunglasses, a fake gag and two feet of rope. It also included a $4 million plastic ring. Yeah, of course the company stopped short of actually naming Kim when they retailed so this noble costume. Of them. So noble of them. I'm sure it would save them a copyright lawsuit as well. But they did write a description that read, she has devoted her life to promoting American decadence, youth and hedonism. But all that flashy living caught up with her one night in Paris when armed men bound her stole her jewellery and her peace of mind. Now, thankfully at the time, a lot of people took umbrage with this costume business trying to profit off Kim Kardashian's trauma. In response to that backlash, the company's VP, a guy named Jonathan Weeks, spoke to BuzzFeed. He said, I'm sad that people are offended by the costume, but it's Halloween. It's one day out of the year. Halloween should be a lighthearted, spirited party and people should be able to laugh at this and think it's funny. We haven't sold any yet, if that matters. If people find it tasteless or if they're offended by it, it's Halloween. Maybe you should just shut your life out and not go outside. Right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it can be kind of hard to grasp why so many people behaved this way. Even at the time, a lot of people were perplexed by the commentary. The Washington Post's Robin Given penned an op-ed titled Why Are People Mocking Kim Kardashian for Being a Victim of a Violent Crime? She kind of broke down the public's reactions and responses to the story and tried her best to analyse why all this was happening. She said... The gravity of the Kardashian incident does not seem real to many cynics because nothing about her life, as it has been presented in detail to the public, seems like an uncalculated truth. Kim Kardashian does not seem real. Every part of her life, fertility struggles, pregnancy and marriage, have been in the public domain. She seems less of a person and more of an idea, a personality, an icon, a scourge, a curiosity. I love that passage. Yeah, it's hard because I do think on one hand... We will forever struggle, as I said before, to accept any celebrity as human. But there are some celebrities that feel less human than others because of the way we consume them. And the Kardashians would have to be the top of that tree. Yes. I think we would dehumanise the Kardashians the most. And I don't think that's always entirely on us. I think they also contribute and profit off of that model. But it doesn't excuse the way Kim was treated in this instance at all. No, not at all. But I do think it's an interesting thing to look at and note. Yeah, it's an interesting one because while Kim was absolutely not deserving of what happened to her, we can't ignore the role that social media played in this crime. Like it's a difficult balancing act, right? Like on one hand, Kim is not responsible. She is absolutely the victim here. But also we know that constantly updating hundreds of millions of people around the world with your exact whereabouts is dangerous. Like, is that necessarily victim blaming? Is it victim blaming to highlight that or point that out? Or is that just the reality? Well, for me, I think that there are like delicate conversations to be had around this. I think a lot of this came out too early 
When the robbery happened on October 3, people wanted to talk about this straight away. And part of me, whether this is, you know, reasonable or rational or not, was like, can we have a few days just to soak this in before we actually go and have the more nuanced conversations that probably need to be had? A few people tried to wrangle with this publicly the day after the robbery. So as I said, perhaps a little too early in my mind. (laughs) Karl Lagerfeld spoke to the media about the incident at his Chanel fashion show. He said... I don't understand why she was in a hotel with no security and things like this. If you are that famous and you put all your jewellery on the net, you go to hotels where nobody can come near to the room. You cannot display your wealth and then be surprised that some people want to share it with you. Yeah, and clearly Carl was wrangling with exactly what we're trying to juggle now, Zara, because he did have sympathy for Kim Kardashian. The day before he gave that quote to media, he shared a handwritten note on social media that read, Dearest Kim, we are all with you. You love Carl. They also had a close relationship. Yeah. She was supposed to be at that Chanel show. So he's clearly a friend, but also highlighting that maybe flaunting all of your assets online isn't always the safest route to take. Yeah, but if that was my friend, I'd be like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, (laughs) I I agree with that. I do agree. It's not your time. (laughs) I think perhaps rather annoyingly as well, Kim's former bodyguard, a a guy called Steve Stanulis, spoke to the Daily Mail. And I have to be honest, it felt very much like him trying to get his five seconds in the sun. Yeah, capitalise. Yeah, 100%. He said this to the Daily Mail. Kim had been showing all the jewellery on Snapchat. It is a perfect storm to get robbed. I saw this happening. It just had to with the way that Kim flaunts her riches and her diamonds. Yeah, he went on as if that wasn't enough. He then said this. She has nearly 50 million people on Twitter who at any moment on any day know where she is. And then she shows them this mighty great expensive rock on her hand a few hours before and she invites trouble. She could fall prey to stalkers, crazy fans or criminals like this weekend at any time. And she and Kai now have to take this as a warning. He then gave another chat. Steve Stanulis then spoke to page six where he said, sadly, the only person to blame for this incident is Kim Kardashian. The only person to blame. Yes. The only one to blame is Kim. She has tens of millions of dollars of jewellery, but she can't pay for an armed guard to protect her. The fact that five days ago that someone broke through her security chain and tried to grab her, then this happens, shows her security is not strong enough and this should be a wake-up call. Does this guy just want his old job back? This guy's an asshole. Is this like a roundabout way of him trying to get his old job back by saying, I could do a better job? I don't know. How confusing. I mean, immediately Kim Kardashian went to ground. She did not post on socials at all. She remained absent on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Snapchat. A couple of days after the robbery, her assistant Stephanie Shepard actually posted on Kim's app confirming that she was taking a social media hiatus. She said, Keeks is taking some much needed time off, but not to worry. We've called upon Kim's closest friends, family and yours truly to save up some exclusive. Stay tuned for some new posts and app takeovers. Thank you so much for your support for my girl. Chloe Kardashian was actually the first member of the family to publicly speak about what had happened. She appeared on Ellen on October 11, just over a week after the robbery. And it speaks a lot to the the Kardashians do not go to ground ever. No, they don't. Individually they might, Kim might, but they do not waste time talking publicly about things. No, and this is what she said. Tell me how Kim is doing. I'm sure everybody here is wondering. Tell us. I mean, she's not doing that well. I mean, it's incredibly traumatic what happened to her but our family is super close and great and we'll get through it together and 
we do appreciate like all your guys' love and support, and it, it will take time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's horrible what happens. Yeah, to I can't work, imagine. Yeah, um, and and so everything you're you're usually everybody's on social media, everybody's Instagramming and tweeting and constantly, mm-hmm. uh, and well, everything's shut down now. Well, I think it's just a wake-up call to make a lot of life adjustments, but this is a really serious matter, and you know, for Kim, it's I think that's really personal as to when that emotional like terror you could move on from that. So I think for us, it's all a wake-up call for all of us, but definitely just to make sure our sister's okay. And to not share as much anymore? Yeah, Maybe mean, things have changed a lot? Yeah, I think in that aspect, and just make sure that we're protected as well as possible. But, you know, like I said, we're a family. We'll do this together. And I think it is important to maybe make those adjustments and pull back a little bit, I think, is always yeah. smart. So it's interesting, like we obviously have Chloe there admitting things have to change. They can't keep posting on social media. They can't keep living life the way they have been. The whole family needs to make adjustments. Zara, after the break, we're going to hear from the receptionist who was also a victim of the robbery. But first, a word from today's sponsor. All right, Mish. So Kim Kardashian wasn't the only one to get on a plane and return home after the robbery. The hotel's concierge, the other guy that was bound up with Kim Kardashian that evening, is a man known only to the media by his first name, and that is Abdul Rahman. He returned to Algeria to recover from the trauma of the incident. Vanity Fair described Abdul Rahman as, and I quote, the strangest character thus far in the whole narrative, reporting that he was apparently incredibly upset that Kim Kardashian might have thought ill of him in the wake of the robbery. And this became like a key narrative soon after the robbery. Not that Abdul Rahman was dealing with his own trauma, as we imagine he must have been, but Abdul Rahman was reportedly upset that Kim could have thought he didn't do enough that evening. Yeah, really curious. A guy by the name of Benjamin Darjan, he was an editor at the French magazine Closer, was actually the first one to track down and meet Abdul Rahman. And he spoke to Vanity Fair about the rumours that Abdul Rahman was really upset. He told them it all came Came down to this. A few days after the robbery, a website reported that Kim had told the police that the concierge was very calm during the robbery. Hearing that, apparently, Abdul Rahman was a bit upset about what they wrote. He told me that he was calm because he was held at gunpoint and it was his way to save his life and Kim's life. Yeah, Abdul Rahman then wanted to communicate with Kim and explain why he was so calm that night, but naturally had absolutely no way of getting in contact with her. He asked the editor of Closer, so that guy you mentioned before, Mish, Benjamin Dargent, to publish a letter to Kim Kardashian on the Closer magazine website. And this is what it said. Dear Kim, when you feel the cold steel of a gun at your neck, it's the moment when remaining calm can mean the difference between life and death, both our lives. I hope you are feeling better. So reading between the lines, did he interpret Kim's statement to police that maybe she thought it could have been an inside job? He was so calm. Maybe he was involved. And he's taken kind of offence at that line of questioning maybe. Yeah, he's read into it and thought that's perhaps either exactly what she was saying or he just simply didn't do enough. Didn't empathise. Yeah, didn't yeah like-, like exude enough emotion yeah. about how terrible this was. Yeah. And he was hurt by that, whereas she could have well just been describing 
how he was handling the scenario, which was calm. Yeah, I feel super sorry for both of them because yeah. then you've got this guy who is watching the whole world talk about Kim Kardashian's experience and he was fucking there too. Like, yeah, it would have been terrifying for the both of them. Now, the other person who didn't come out of this unscathed Mish was Kim Kardashian's bodyguard, Pascal Duvier. Yeah, so he had been actually having an awful time in the weeks leading up to this scandal. Anyway, it turns out that about two months before that Paris robbery, the security company that Pascal Duvier owned called Protect Security had actually filed for bankruptcy. So according to Marie Claire, when Duvier lodged a claim of insolvency at a German court where the company was based two months prior, it had debts totaling US million. Yeah, an insolvency lawyer working on the case actually told the Daily Mail, there's so much debt, there are many claimants, I can't say the exact number, lots. I mean, I don't know what insolvency lawyer is meant to be talking (laughs) to the media, but that's fine. Sadly for Pascal, the situation only got worse for him after the robbery. In November, anonymous sources close to Kim and Kanye confirmed to the media that Pascal had been let go from his job. So that's about a month after the robbery. This is what what a source told Entertainment Tonight. Pascal, along with a couple of other security members of their team, were recently let go by Kim and Kanye. It is a pretty tough situation overall and they love Pascal, but they couldn't take any more chances. Yeah, another source spoke to People magazine and said, Pascal thought he did let down Kim and didn't do his job properly in Paris. They all agreed that it was better for Kim and Kanye to hire a completely new security team. E, the network behind Keeping Up With The Kardashians, is paying for the new security team and it's very expensive. I do feel for Pascal in this Me too. instance. I mean, we did know that the Kardashians knew he was going to the nightclub. They were across that plan. At least from the outside, it seems like they were all comfortable with that plan. I do feel a little sad for him that he took the fall for something Hugely. that wasn't it wasn't super clearly entirely his fault. I completely agree. At the time, gossip magazines like Us Weekly wrote that this was Kanye unilaterally firing Pascal and caused huge issues in his relationship with Kim, which I think maybe kind of checks out looking yeah. back at everything. Yeah, I agree. I think apparently Kim was really upset. They were really close friends, Pascal and Kim Kardashian, and apparently she didn't want to let him go. But it was Kanye coming in saying, I'm taking control of this. And knowing what Kim has said in the most recent series of the Kardashians, Kanye increasingly having power in that marriage and unilaterally deciding things for the two of them absolutely checks out. Yeah, I think the other thing I thought though is it also wouldn't surprise me if it wasn't if it wasn't personal, if it wasn't like, hey, Pascal, this was a blunder of yours and you're fired. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if it was more a case of getting rid of entire teams of staff to change things up and to shake things up. Yeah. I can imagine there was certain levels of paranoia perhaps like are there people who are you know talking to the media that we can't trust and also just let's get one big new cohesive team to mark a new way of doing things even to signal to the world that things are different yeah to you know anyone else who might be looking on thinking oh I could rob her too I would be surprised if it was personal and not that to make matters worse and we are deviating from the timeline a tiny bit here. But Forgive us. <laughs> let's just stick with Pascal for a second so we're across his complete involvement in this story. 
Pascal was actually later sued over the stolen jewellery. Yeah, that's right. In October 2018, it was revealed that Kim Kardashian's insurance company, AIG, actually launched a lawsuit against Pascal and his company, Protect Security, asking for $6 million out of his wallet. Yeah, so I imagine that they were forced to do a $6 million payout and they're going to find somebody else to foot that bill. As reported by the BBC, AIG's lawsuit filed in Delaware reportedly claims the bodyguard and his firm left the celebrity alone in her room. The suit also alleges there were numerous security breaches, including a missing or broken lock and a broken intercom system, which they think also should have been addressed. Yeah, that lawsuit was eventually settled in 2020 for an undisclosed amount. This is where we leave Pascal in the story. We're going to go back to 2016, Zara, but Pascal, if you're listening... Tough year for you. Tough couple of years. Tough couple of years for sure. So (laughs) let's leave Pascal there in this story. Let's go back to 2016 for a second. November 2016 to be precise. So about a month and a half after the robbery because on November 22, 2016, Vanity Fair published this incredibly wide-ranging story by their senior journo Mark Seal. Now, it was titled The Inside Story of the Kim Kardashian Paris Hotel Heist and actually spoke to some really important people people involved in the case. Yeah, one such person was Paris Police Chief Christian Sainty, who admitted that he didn't actually know who Kim Kardashian was when the call first came through that she was the victim of the robbery. He told Vanity Fair he actually had to Google Kim's name. He said, and I quickly understood who she is. Now I know almost everything about her. The personality of the victim, Kim Kardashian, is not like anyone else. She has a lot of likes on Facebook. Yes, (laughs) that's it. Now, Later on, journalist Mark Seal also kind of touched on this combo that we had before, which was what happens when you are posting incessantly about your own wealth and then you are robbed. He said, of the 15 Instagram photos she posted from Paris, surely the most tantalising for thieves would have been one posted on the day of her arrival. A sexy selfie of Kardashian West and some of her jewellery, diamonds in her mouth and a 20-carat diamond ring on her finger, which Kanye had reportedly purchased from Lorraine Schwartz in New York for around $4 million. Kim signed the post without words, only three blue diamond emojis. Yeah. The piece also discussed how while the police chief couldn't give specific details on the case while it was still ongoing, Kim's social posting was a key way that thieves found their way into her hotel room. When asked directly if thieves were following Kim via social media posts, Christian Sainty responded simply, she gives information on social media all the time. Yeah, much of this piece also centred around like the vital importance of local police solving this case. This was a hugely high-profile celebrity story that had a ton of public interest, which made it pretty important for Paris's reputation as well. Like at this point in time, I think the context is really important. It hadn't yet been a year since the November 2015 Paris terrorist attacks that had been thought to have wiped a billion dollars off the French tourism industry. Of this, the police chief said... It's important because of the implication. Is Paris secure? It is important economically. So that is another reason why it's important for us to solve this case. Yeah, and the group tasked with solving that case was the elite Paris crime unit. You referenced them before, Zara. They're called the BRB. It's essentially a brigade of 100 plainclothed officers specialising in armed robbery and organised crime. Now, according to USA Today, that group, the BRB, initially spent their time investigating the Pink Panther. That is a group that is 
probably the largest and most successful ring of jewel thieves in the entire world. It's a gang that has pulled off 370 heists worth $500 million. Now, they spent some time looking into the Pink Panthers, but then Zara, within weeks of the robbery, they actually uncovered black and white CCTV footage that sent them in another direction. Yeah, so as you said, the BRB found this black and white CCTV footage that showed five people, three on bicycles and two on foot, approaching Kim's apartment at 2.19am. According to the time code on the footage, the suspects fled the apartment roughly 49 minutes later. Now, a bag could be seen on the front of one of the bicycles. And as people might remember, in our last episode, we spoke about this, the detail of the criminals using bicycles was incredibly important. Here's what veteran police reporter Frederick Plequin told Vanity Fair. If you ride a bike in Paris, you have to know Paris. The no-name hotel is in the centre of Paris where there are a lot of CCTV cameras. But on a bike, you can ride the small streets where there are no cameras. Yeah, there's even more benefit to these thieves using bikes instead of cars or any other mode of transport. Bikes in Paris do not have to have licence plates or registrations. They all mostly look alike and they are, of course, easily hidden and destroyed. You can also ride a bike in disguise with a cap or glasses and no one will think a thing. While they may be slower than a car, they're also a brilliant way to commute to another destination without anyone detecting you. Yes, but they are not foolproof because it turns out the day after the robbery, a passerby picked up Kim Kardashian's platinum cross, a piece of jewellery worth 31 grand, off the street. One of the thieves had accidentally dropped it from their bike as they fled the scene. Yeah, so the investigation is ongoing, Zara. Police and the BRB are looking into this actively. They really want to solve it. But unfortunately for Kim and Kanye back in America, things are not going well. Yeah, so on November 22, around the same time this Vanity Fair piece is published, so as we said, about six weeks after the robbery, news broke that Kanye West had been hospitalised for stress and exhaustion. Now, the remaining dates of his huge North American tour were cancelled. According to the Washington Post, his hospitalisation followed a few and I quote, chaotic days on tour. For example, a few days before his hospitalisation, Kanye announced on stage that he had voted, that had he voted in the 2016 presidential election, he would have voted for Donald Trump. A couple of nights after that, in his Sacramento show, it kind of came to a halt when he delivered this like stream of consciousness speech criticising some of his friends and other associates in the music industry, including Jay-Z and Beyonce, before he stormed off stage after just a couple of songs. Yeah, so he wasn't doing very well. Yeah, and it was it was on a very public, literal stage. Yeah, TMZ had reported that Kanye was restrained when he was brought to the hospital, but a source told People that was not the case. He went freely, the source told People magazine. Kim Kardashian was scheduled to attend the Angel Ball in New York City when this was all reported. It was going to be her first public appearance since the robbery. Of course, she didn't go and instead had to fly home to LA to be by Kanye's side. Yeah. Now, we mentioned before as well, Kim Kardashian had a, a pretty lengthy social media hiatus. I mean, For Kim? To be honest, for a lot of us who spend a lot of time <laughs> on social media, but particularly for Kim, she was off social media for three months. She returned to Instagram on January 3, 2017, when she did return, she posted a family portrait on Instagram, captioning it, 
family. It was like a very distinct 90s Polaroid aesthetic. Yeah. That photo amassed over 4 million likes, which made it the most liked photo of any Kardashian-Jenner at the time. Now, what I find really interesting is for a whole week after returning to Instagram, Kim posted nothing other than photos of her family, definitely signaling to the world, I think, that this incident had a huge impact on her priorities and values. Like that's surely what she's trying to tell people. I remember the aesthetic as well. It was very minimalistic, almost like 70s vibe. It was like home photos. Home photos, no materialistic elements going on, no brand names, very, very different, like a huge deviation away from what we had seen from her before the robbery. Exactly. And it was only about a week after that that finally some arrests were made in the case. Yeah. Early in the morning on Monday, January 9, 2017, the BRB carried out a large-scale operation in Paris. That morning, they made a total of 17 arrests connected to the robbery. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the suspects' ages ranged from 23 to 72. Of that group, 14 people were men and three were women. Yeah, the arrest that raised the the most eyebrows, I think, was that of Kim's 40-year-old Paris chauffeur, Michael Mader. Now, he was 40 at the time and worked at the same serviced car company as his 27-year-old brother, a guy named Gary. Now, as reported by the Associated Press, the police primarily found the suspects via DNA evidence they obtained at the No Name Hotel. An official who was asked to remain anonymous told the AP that, and I quote, many of the suspects were already well known for robbery and other crimes. Yeah, local laws in Paris meant the police had 96 hours to work with once they had the suspects in custody. So once that time expired, they either had to formally charge the men and women or let them go. Within the week, 10 people, nine men and one woman, had been charged in relation to the robbery. Of particular interest was a 60-year-old named as Omar A, a man who had been sentenced to seven years in prison for armed robbery in 1985 and whose DNA matched perfectly with some of the DNA found at the scene when police took a closer look at some of the materials the criminals had used to tie up Kim. Once police had Omar A kind of locked down or had some evidence against him, their investigation really took off. Yeah, curiously, police also charged Omar's companion, a 70-year-old woman identified as Christian G, as well as his 29-year-old son, Harmony, with abetting the crime. It was also posited that Omar's son, Harmony, drove the thieves to the hotel. So, like... A pretty strange family affair here. A family affair. His girlfriend and his son. Now, one of the other 10 arrests that week was against Didier D, also nicknamed Blue Eyes. (laughs) He was a 61-year-old who'd served eight and a half years for international cocaine trafficking after being busted with two tonnes of the drug at a Paris airport. Now, it was Omar A and Didier D, police argued, who'd broken into Kim's apartment and carried out probably the most harrowing parts of the attack. Yeah, and if you're thinking these ages seem a little perhaps more mature than what you'd initially expected from a crime like this, Omar and Didier weren't even the oldest suspects. They were also charged alongside a 72-year-old named Pierre B, who was a convicted cocaine dealer who'd previously served six years in jail. Yeah, the French media quickly landed on a name for these organised criminals. It was the Grandpa Roberts. (laughs) 
And while they had a plan with hindsight, Mish, it wasn't a necessarily slick one. How no. is this from Forbes magazine in the week of the arrests? The seemingly perfectly coordinated plan is nothing more than the latest attempt by the older outlaws to ensure their retirement is more bizarre comedy than nefarious crime as they left behind all kinds of clues and evidence that led to their arrest. <laughs> the police would have been laughing when they found like all that DNA over the ties that tied up Kim Kardashian. I think especially because as you said earlier, they started zeroing in on the Pink Panthers thinking that this was like a really professional organised mm. operation. And then they landed on this sort of motley crew of men <laughs> who had a long history of crime, but from what we've been able to tell through this research, hadn't done anything or hadn't been convicted of anything for a long time. Yeah. The crime that they carried out certainly lacked polish. Let's say it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we can absolutely say that. So what about those pesky chauffeurs, the brothers Michael and Gary Mader, Turns out police actually released Kim's driver, Michael, from custody. He was the older brother, but did end up charging Gary on the suspicion that he was the one who tipped off thieves with information about Kim's whereabouts, including the fact that her bodyguard had left her alone in the apartment. So the inference there was Gary received information through working in the same chauffeur company as his brother and then passed that on to the wrong kinds of people. Correct. Interesting. According to the New York Times, of the 10 people who were charged, nine were detained. The only person to walk out of the court that week was old mate Gary, the chauffeur's brother who was released under judicial supervision. Yeah, now the majority of Kim's jewellery was actually never found. A police source told Us Weekly that the stolen jewellery was melted down or recut and sold in the black market and therefore could never be recovered. I mean, I don't think that's a surprise. No. I think that ring was so iconic that the minute it put it up on Facebook Marketplace, <laughs> Facebook Marketplace. like fingers would be pointed right at the robbers. They also reported that it was likely that Kim Kardashian's gems ended up in Antwerp in Belgium, which is the diamond trade capital of Europe, Mish. Mm, two of the men in custody actually spent a significant amount of time in that city after the October 3rd heist. Now, Kim, of course, did get that one diamond cross back after the robbery and she did write about that on Instagram years later. She said, so this necklace that I have on is a diamond cross and it was the first piece of jewellery that I bought when I got my first check. When I was robbed, this was taken from me. However, on the way out, the robbers dropped one piece of jewellery in the street and this was it. It's very sentimental to me, just wanted to share. I mean, I guess that's one positive from this whole thing. Yeah. I think the other thing that was really curious around this time about, you know, mid-2017 was the conversation that happened where people were wondering if Taylor Swift actually mocked Kim Kardashian's robbery in her Look What You Made Me Do video. Yes, this is still a big question mark in my head and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Now, as the lyrics of that song were widely interpreted, this was kind of a response track to that infamous phone call scandal that we've already touched upon. Snake gate. All Snake gate. We've talked about it before. Surely you guys are all across it by now. Not only did Taylor have lyrics in the Look What You Made Me Do song referencing it, she also had Snakes as basically the entire branding piece for the Reputation album at large. Now when it comes to the music video for Look What You Made Me Do, what happens at about the 35 second mark made people raise an eyebrow? Exactly. So Taylor was in a bathtub that was filled with jewels, right? And at one point she uses her hand to mimic a gun going off. And I think instantly people online drew 
the pretty obvious parallel was Taylor Swift referencing the Paris robbery where we know that Kim was pulled into a bathroom and her jewels were stolen at gunpoint. Teen Vogue wrote about the comparison, as did Complex and Refinery29. Some other theories were posited. I mean, there was a dollar bill amongst the jewels, so maybe it was a remark about Taylor's own sexual assault trial. Maybe she was referencing a quote she made about her own public image in 2015. The thing is, like, we've never received any clarification or further comment on that scene. And for me, I'm like, I'd be surprised if someone wanted to do something that dirty. That malicious. But I do think she probably needed to be smarter to think exactly how people were going to interpret this. I think there's fault for that at least. Yeah. Look, we know that Taylor Swift is firmly in my past basket. But reading this and re-watching it over and over again, knowing the context of Kim's robbery, knowing that she was in the bathroom, that jewellery was stolen, that she was robbed at gunpoint, either this was clumsy from Taylor Swift and she should have thought about the appearance of it, the optics of it, or she intentionally made it ambiguous. Yes, Because she wanted people to talk about it and she knew people would defend her anyway. I truly don't know. I want to lean towards giving her the benefit of the doubt, but it's a weirdly specific reference in a music video that we know is partially about Kim and Kanye. Yeah, part of me worries that it is deliberately ambiguous and that she was just going to play off the publicity. But anyway, that obviously blew the whole story up even more. The thing about this story as well, and poor Kim Kardashian, it's like every month there's some other reason to talk about it. To drag it on. Exactly. For example, one month after the Look What You Made Me Do video clip, so it's September 2017 now, it's nearly a whole year after the robbery. Omar A, one of the group's <laughs> ringleaders who essentially roped his partner and his son into the gig with him, actually penned Kim a letter from his jail cell while he awaited trial. Yeah. According to Vogue, Omar had somehow watched the episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians where Kim detailed the trauma of the Paris robbery and was motivated to express his regret and his remorse after seeing her cry on television. He wrote... After observing your emotion and realizing the psychological damages I inflicted, I decided to write to you, not to obtain from you some sort of indulgence. I want to come to you as a human being to tell you how much I regret my gesture, how much I have been moved and touched to see you in tears. Know that I fully sympathize with the pain you're enduring, your children, your husband, and your close ones. I hope this letter will allow you to forget, little by little, the trauma that you suffered by my fault." What the hell? (laughs) I mean, the thing is, if any part of you considered, oh, just like a little bit heartwarming, everybody can come, do a 180, consider the fact that, according to TMZ, this letter wasn't sent to Kim first. It was actually sent to the judge overseeing the case who forwarded it on to Kim's legal team. So potentially, potentially a way for Omar to seem remorseful to the judge. Potentially or definitely. (laughs) Now, for years we actually heard very little about the trial, right? We've Mm. heard very little about what was happening. And I think if there's one thing that's clear through researching this story, it's that legal proceedings can be slow. Oh my God, the legal system. So slow. For four years, we heard very little about the investigation, trial or anything. And then in January, 2021, we still haven't heard much. One of the thieves, a guy named Eunice Abbas, (laughs) released a tell-all book called... I sequestered Kim Kardashian. He'd yes. actually been released from prison on health grounds. So once he was out, 
was actually able to write a book about it all. Yeah, not healthy enough to stay in jail, but healthy enough to write a book. Interesting. The lawyers of the night concierge, Abdul Rahman, actually obtained a court order to seize the rights of Eunice's book sales, meaning that Eunice couldn't make a single dollar off the book. The money earned was actually handed to Abdul Rahman as compensation for his trauma. Which is... Amazing and exactly how it should go. I do wonder how many like copies of this book were ever going to be sold though. Like are people actually buying this? It doesn't it it gives you the vibe as someone who did buy it. Gives you the vibe of something that is self-published or perhaps not as slick or polished like the crime they committed. Not slick or polished whatsoever. Yes, and quick disclaimer just to protect you, you bought it for the purpose of researching this. We should say not at the time. And knowing <laughs> that Abdul Rahman actually gets compensation. Exactly. I would not have bought this yes. if I knew it was funding crime. <laughs> no. Of course not. Now, in the book, Eunice actually called himself a part-time crook and described the robbery as, and I quote, perfectly executed, which is (laughs) ironic given they're all on trial. Eunice had actually spent 21 years in prison prior and was clean from committing crimes for the next nine years before you know, falling back into the pond with the Kim Kardashian robbery. Coming out of retirement. Yes. In the book, he described the moment after the robbery when he was walking past police officers and Kim's phone started ringing. The sound of the phone made me jump. To my incredulous eyes, singer Tracy Chapman's name appeared on the phone's screen. It's not possible. I must be hallucinating. So Tracy Chapman called Kim Kardashian when she was being robbed. I did not see a relationship or friendship between Tracy Chapman and Kim Kardashian. Part of me just doesn't believe that detail anyway. It's very neat. Like, Tracy Chapman out of nowhere. I know. Also, like, calling her at 2 o'clock in the morning. Fuck you, Eunice. I call bullshit. (laughs) Now, at one point in the book, Eunice also mocked Kim Kardashian and her secretary, writing, Our two beauties stubbornly tried to call 911, the emergency call number for the US. Not very efficient when you are in Paris. I would 100% if you're in the state of trauma where you're in a massively dangerous scenario your instinct and gut is to think what is the number I have been trained to call in emergencies mine is triple zero if I'm in Paris I don't think my brain is getting there that quickly no and also maybe this is a myth come to us and tell me if it is I thought that all of the emergency numbers those three digit emergency numbers I thought they are valid in almost every country they are flagged as emergency numbers and they connect you to that local oh I'm pre- I am pretty sure that's a thing something we want to fact check before we put this episode nah, out come all. to me am I wrong or am I right I have a feeling I've got a lot of family members who are in like the emergency sense. healthcare space I'm pretty sure that's a thing because they try and accommodate for different cultural differences and and backgrounds. also, like, as as I said before, like, to account for the fact that when people are faced with danger, they, they will not have the capacity yeah. to think or time to Google the other numbers. If this isn't a thing, which I'm pretty sure it is. Make it a thing. Make it a thing. Anyway, it wasn't until November 2021, we're talking November last year, that authorities actually confirmed to the media that a trial will go ahead. Here's what was reported by Page Six. After five years of investigation, investigating judges have ordered the case sent to trial, a judicial official said Friday. The suspects face a range of charges related to the theft. No trial date has been set and the official would not provide further details. Now, I'm not a judge. I'm not a lawyer. I have no expertise in this area. Why did we have to wait five years when we have basically all of the criminals saying, yeah, I did it? One of them has written a book saying, yeah, I did it. What's the delay? 
I'm sure there are a million code delays <laughs> now for court cases. And so that's where the trial sits. Like it, it's not over yet. We will obviously through Shameless keep people updated on what actually happens. But that's where that sits for now. When it comes to Kim, there's no doubt that Kim and by extension her entire family changed so much about the way they lived their lives in the wake of the robbery. Speaking on The View after it all happened, Kim actually said that her relationship with social media had almost certainly changed. She said, I've learned through the experience not to post things in real time. I might take a photo, save it, post it when I leave the place or when I'm in a different location because I don't think that worked out for me so well when I was posting every last detail. Yeah, she also said on Ellen that she puts less value on material things following the robbery. Here's a snippet of that. It was probably no secret you see it on the show when it's being flashy. Like, I was definitely materialistic before. And not that there's anything bad with having things and working hard to get those things. And I'm really proud of, you know, everyone around me that's successful. But, like, I'm so happy that my kids get this me and that this is who I'm raising my kids because I, I just don't care about that stuff anymore. Her Instagram activity has definitely changed, Zara. BuzzFeed, a year after the robbery, did a really interesting before and after of Kim's feed. She posts far less of her material possessions now and more of her work and family. But I'd also say she's put in so many parameters with what she will and won't post. She's put in so many safeguards to protect herself. We know that she's been changing the flooring of hotels, photoshopping carpet patterns, photoshopping interiors that might be traced. She's been delaying posting as well. She'll go on a holiday and only post about it after she's been back for a week. Like it's very hard to tell where she is at any given moment because the timeline on her feed is not the real timeline. Which I think also goes away to explaining how that massive controversy happened in Australia very recently where that cafe came out and said Kim Kardashian dined here and it took a long time for us to work out that that was a hoax. It wasn't until she was papped in LA that we realised she actually was never in Australia at all. (laughs) Now Kim actually spoke about it all again as well to E's true Hollywood story. She said there are these moments in life that really change you and like shake you to your core and my robbery was definitely that moment for me. As crazy as it sounds, I wouldn't give up that experience for the lessons I learned from it. Material things used to be so important to me. I measured my success by my material things, but there is nothing material that is important to me now. Mm, That's a good quote. And that is the end of the Kim's Paris robbery for now. I mean, this is the end of our telling of the story. It's certainly not the end of the story, though. I wonder, she'll have to go back to Paris, surely, for the court trial, perhaps, or at least dial in via video link. I don't know. It'll be really interesting. I mean, I know that they try to limit the exposure that victims have during these kinds of things, sort of limit their trauma, having to sort of re-testify. I'm sure she gave a pretty comprehensive statement at the time, Mm. did some pretty comprehensive interviews, so I'm sure they'll be leaning on that. But I think it'll definitely make it all public again. It will be interesting to see if she speaks about that in terms of something that makes her relive her trauma or triggers her in any way. Yeah. What a ride. What a story. What a scandal. Thank you so much for listening to the last two episodes on Kim Kardashian's Paris robbery. It's been a joy having you. We will have all of the great gallery photos up on our Instagram if you want to go have a look and dive back into the nostalgia of 2016. It really was another era. Oh, my God. It feels like a lifetime ago. It truly does. Anyway, go to our Instagram. Check that out. Check that out. TikTok at shameless underscore podcast. And other than that, we'll be back in your ears on Thursday. Yeah, see you then, guys. Bye.
Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.